Welcome to The Catch-Up, a podcast where we bridge psychology, linguistics, and mythology to explore the nature of our mind. I'm Neil. And I'm Melissa. I'm a linguist and author with a concentration in discourse analysis. I also study and write about applied mythology and its effects on our ability to communicate with ourselves and others. And I'm a trained psychotherapist with 10 plus years of experience, and I write about the myths we all have in our mind and their effects on our everyday behavior. This podcast brings together our respective fields so we can see what goes on in our minds, both socially and personally, so we can communicate our way through any experience with understanding. Let's catch up. is a collective self let's talk about it i'm in oh so today's episode is collective self your kind of identities within collectives and this is important to recognize because we sort of code switch in different groups according to who we see ourselves as being or the role we see ourselves as playing within those groups so it's important to understand that And I guess kind of the umbrella of all of this, the why behind it all, is it's really important to understand your own language within yourself because it allows you to see where you need to progress, if you need to progress, when you need to progress, or whether you're just staying stagnant in a lot of areas. And what would be your definition of progression or to progress? I think progression is just a matter of understanding yourself better, understanding your place in life better, and where you need to go to further yourself and where you see yourself going. I think that's ultimate progression. Obviously with nuances like being kind and being socially responsible and environmentally responsible and all these things in mind. Yeah. But the ultimate goal, I think, is to progress into your ultimate ideal self. You know, I agree with you there. I think to harken back to that first episode when we were talking about those different myth paths, everybody kind of has that laid out for them already whether they know it or not. A lot of people, you can tell, they have a confidence. They know where they're going for the most part, but they don't always know exactly where they're going to be soon or through the next phase in their life. So this collective stuff, especially your identity in there, I think evolves on a group-by-group basis, daily basis. It can be any time and space ratio in that you don't always know what you need to be soon because you never know what's coming around the corner. But you might. Yeah. But I think there's a reason why you get those intuitions of, oh, change's coming, it's got to happen kind of feeling. We've had that several times, and if one of us ignored it, it was a problem. That's incongruence. It didn't make sense that we didn't listen to that. And it's important to understand your roles in your different groups, your different collectives, because that speaks to your level of congruence or incongruence. Yes. And we know we code switch. And I'm using the term code switch lightly here because it's not language or dialect code switching. It's just kind of personal. Let's say I'm with my family, my parents, my grandparents, aunts and uncles. I might not, if they aren't comfortable with it, just start throwing F-bombs and talking about my drunken nights at the bar or whatever I did last Saturday night with my friends, that was a bit rambunctious. I don't know. But if my family talks like that, I might talk that way. Sure. But also if they're conservative, you might not. 
But if you're with your friends where you were rambunctious last Saturday and they talk like that, then absolutely go for it. So there is differences in language and stories we tell and the role we see ourselves playing. Do we see ourselves as being the good child? Do we see ourselves as being the black sheep child, the rebellious child in the family? Do we see ourselves as the funny friend or the shy friend or the responsible friend? Do we see ourselves at work as the quiet, head-down worker, the person who always gets their work done on time, the person who's always a little late, but it's always very thorough kind of a thing? We play these different roles. Our language adjusts accordingly. The stories we tell adjust accordingly, and therefore our mindset adjusts accordingly. Now, brilliant, by the way. I, oh, thank I, you. I think, I think there was a lot of categories you threw out there, and... That plays into what I wanted to touch on, which was collective voice. When you're thinking about your collective self and you can't really get anywhere if you don't consider how you use collective voice and then how you interpret it from others. So, for example, we're seeing it right now, these massive social movements. Everybody's collective voice is coming up and out. And we're even hearing shy people kind of screaming into the wind saying, no, I'm here and I want this change. Me. I'm yeah. shy. Yeah. And look at, look at me now on a podcast. This is our comfort zone. And it's not. It's interesting. And I think you're showing a certain side of yourself, of course, that I've seen. But not everybody that knows you have seen this open Melissa. But this is your collective self. This mm. is the self I know you've always had. But it always not always coming out, so well, to speak. And collective self is sort of the we-ness of it all. Yeah. The our experience of it all. And so we have these nouns that further illustrate our ability to say, I am part of a collective. Yep. These pronouns, I guess. And I just learned the other day about royal we, which I didn't know was a thing. But royal we is the ability of a monarch, usually in like royal circumstances, to use we but for themselves only. It's a singular we, which is really interesting. And it kind of implies that we have these pronouns and we just, they inherently have the ability to have like a spectrum within them. Like, do I mean me, just me alone, this person alone? Or do I mean two people or do I mean many people? And so we get to choose where the meaning falls on that spectrum. Ooh. But that's just a geeky linguist thing. Well, and that's meaning average or definition, or being mean to other people. Mm-hmm. No? Sort of. You see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, punny. I, well, I think there's something people do there. Like, Americans rebelled against the royal family in England. We ran away from home, blah, blah, blah. But we is not going to include Native Americans in a lot of that. But also it might. And or people of color. People of color, oh, just this is what we're dealing with. And then you're seeing people being their own linguist, mm. interpreting that, going, hang on a second. I saw this person say we the other day, and I was not included in that. Mm -hmm. My people weren't. That's what's frustrating about a lot of folks right now. They're not including categories that they have to include now. We have to include each other. Well, and some languages have that ability. There's no like English equivalent for it really but they have versions of we where it can mean me and this person but not you even though we're talking to you but me and this person went we went to the thing but not you 
or we're going to the thing, but not you. And so they have we's that include the entire group, or it could be like three or more people we, or if it's a bigger group, it's a different kind of we. So other languages have more ability to add nuance in that way to their collective pronouns. English doesn't so much. Like if I say we, I have to clarify who my we is. But a lot of times right now in our conversations, 2020 with all of its things that it brought to light, I think that we always knew were there, but that really made it really important to start talking about. We as in who? The well, nation. I, you see what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. But so it made, we as a nation have to have important conversations. But a lot of people are clarifying now they're speaking out for communities of color, for mm. example. And they're saying, so we have work to do. And then they clarify, like, not the people of color. They shouldn't have to do that work for us. It's on us, the the colonizers or the white people or whoever they're referring to. Or they'll say, we, as a nation, to clarify that they mean everybody here. And so I think the, what's the, the chaotic nature, it felt chaotic being in it in 2020, really brought to light the importance of having conversations of understanding the categories that you are a part of, either mm-hmm. knowingly or unknowingly. But if it's unknowingly, you have to make it knowingly. Yes. And then being able to talk about your categories plus the differences in experiences between the categories surrounding us. Yes. I love it when you talk about this. Thank so you. I like talking about it. Because <laughs> when you said we there, it's like, and there are people so unwilling to accommodate other categories, quote-unquote, into their we. It's like object permanence slash zero-sum game stuff. They think they're going to lose out on everything that they've built, etc., etc., but they're forgetting we've all lost a ton this year. And then there are a lot of people that have made more than they've ever made in their entire life. We know that list. So they're not included in your we. Yep. And then you get these arguments about capitalism and we're in post- age, this or that category of economy, what we're forgetting is we're just trying to kind of spin the wheel, evolve into that next phase of how we take better care of each other, one another. Mm -hmm. And I think if you tweak that in the way you speak out, you can have an effect, not just vicariously, but literally in someone's mind because it's matter in the mind. And also, a lot of these conversations, like I said, that have started to sprout up because we have, everybody kind of has started recognizing the importance of language, I think. Mm -hmm. And not just the importance of, like, word choice, like, I statements, not you statements kind of a thing, but importance in terms of, like, no, we need to have conversations and we need to clarify what comes into our language. It started bringing to light some potentially problematic or potentially offensive language that we've taken for granted. Like I know a lot of people are taking the phrase turning a blind eye out of their phrases because it's ableist, but it's one that became so commonplace in our language that it kind of lost its sense in that way. Mm -hmm. And it became so common that we didn't realize it was ableist until we allowed people to say, listen, that has a certain connotation for my community. Please stop. So now we're saying, okay, There are phrases I need to take out. And then there are phrases where we have to say, I'm using this phrase, but I have to clarify. So like the we, meaning white people kind of thing, we have to do this. We have to clarify our stance and 
we have to clarify our collective self, who we're identifying with and who we understand we can't identify with. But you're telling me what to do. You're speaking for me is a lot of the reaction I see with people that are frustrated and they feel like they can't keep up with this. It's work. Yep. Imagine changing your handwriting, which I did all the time in junior high because I wanted I wanted boys to think I had really pretty handwriting. So I'd be like, I, I want my A to be this way instead of that way. But you're so habitual with it that you'd write the A and then have to cross it out and then be like, okay, make it a habit to do the A this way. It's the same kind of idea. Our language is really habitual. And to change it, and especially to have a year like last year, bring so many things to light kind of all at once. Yes. It feels like a lot. And I think that speaks to that reaction. And it also speaks to what we were talking about in the last episode, what you said of we don't have to rush things. We have to acknowledge that these conversations need to be had, but we don't have to say, I need to have 10 of these conversations every day. Yeah, slow it down. Yeah. I would be curious, people listening to this, has this been fast for them? Has this been easy to accommodate? Is it making sense? I mean, to a lot of people, this makes total sense. They've been thinking about it. But we have to consider the people that aren't and helping them understand uh, hey, listen, just right here, here's a cool way to do this and making it easier, kind of meeting their mind where it's at. I always had this with clients that had very rigid parents or backgrounds that were conservative that they would get so frustrated, they would consider it manipulative to mm-hmm. tell them how to think. Whereas I could also help them understand, no, I just want you to have more rich, impactful interactions with people higher quality, maybe that was the way I would frame it usually, so that they could have a greater effect on the people around them and themselves. Mm -hmm. Meaning greater, meaning better, I guess. They didn't always like that. But they saw what I meant. It was interesting if I could cut across the cultural barrier. And this is why it's so important to be aware of your collective selves. Yeah. The roles you play within your family group, your friend group, your work group, what have you, because your language starts to mirror them. Mm-hmm. If your workplace calls all the coworkers that work there, like the tribe, if you're an only child and you have two parents and they say, we're the three musketeers, that's kind of how you think about it, sort of a thing. If your friend group has a name for itself, you know, like a catch name, like the plastics and the mean girls, you're going to think of yourself in that way. And so it's really important to understand kind of your code switching, how you see yourself within your collectives and what that does to your everyday language and the other groups you're around because you you obviously match your collectives, you mirror your collectives. A lot of people get kicked out, left behind or ostracized. Look at how much in democracy they mock and then we see that people are (laughs) left out because they didn't conform and then they'll just do it more and so it's a cycle of shunning and shaming and that kind of thing which we all fall into that trap at times when we're defensive if we have some anger in our bones but i think the taking the defensiveness out of it disarming ourselves but at the same time, peacefully protesting that ridiculousness that's happening 
has some cool quality to it and it has an effect. Look at what we've been able to accomplish this year. A lot of people didn't think we were going to evolve out of that darkness, but right now we're working on it and we're working hard on making sure we go down the right path. I think Mean Girls, and just because I just brought it up, it's in the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. A great example. Yes. Uh, They had the name The Plastics for themselves. What's that imply? I have to be perfect all the time, like Barbie, mm-hmm. right? You have to dress a certain way. You have to smile a certain way. You have to have your makeup done a certain way. You have a certain body type. And then if someone violated the norm, they didn't wear pink on Wednesdays or they wore sweatpants or whatever that was, they were kind of ostracized. They couldn't sit with them at lunch. Yep. So it's really important to understand what the norms are that come with that language use. Are you plastic? Are you expecting yourself to abide by a certain aesthetic? Are you more malleable where you can say, I have certain senses on certain days or whatever the case may be? If you're a three musketeer, in full disclosure, I haven't seen the movie in years. I've never read the book. But in my mind, they were like a bunch of do-gooders, right? They they kind of fought for good, as I remember it. And so if you're part of a group that calls itself the three musketeers, you might see yourself as a a do-gooder, someone who fights for the good. So it's really important to kind of parse out the contextual meaning of the language use because that'll allow you to see what the norms are and whether or not it's important to deviate to progress, like we talked about. So that's like micro-analysis of Mm -hmm. yourself, the group around you, and then going, again, tap your metamind. I think it, it shows you something. If I get into a zone where I'm kind of going, well, what what is the change that's happening here? Why are we sensing that we have to evolve? We've done this, I think, with groups. Me and you? We- yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. Where we found ourselves not fitting in. We're more neuroatypical. And so we've had to communicate, yeah, that's not something we're interested in, but, you know, go ahead. And then the group can accommodate us better Whereas if we had said yes, but not enjoyed it, and then shown our flat affect or discomfort, that had a worse effect on the friendship or relationship. Then there's times where we've been too open about our not wanting to conform, and that's turned people away too, which is fine. But I think there's a middle that you can strike, kind of the sweet spot, where you can say, that's not for me, but let's hang out tomorrow. Mm Mm-hmm. And it works. And it shows people we're cool. We had that guy the other day that didn't want to wear a mask around us. We just said, hey, listen, I'm not going to come into your place of business, but I'll meet you where you're at if you put the mask on. He put the mask on. But it's the non-defensive way of saying it that had the effect. Absolutely. I don't know where I'm going with that. Does that make any sense? Oh, it does. And I think then you're speaking to the self being adjustable. Yeah. Because a lot of times, if you don't want to break the norms, you end up being a version of yourself that you're not really. Because if you don't speak out and say, I don't want to see this movie, you end up going to the movie and not enjoying it, and then your friends notice, and then you feel bad for not saying anything, so you go, no, it was great! And then everybody could tell you're lying, but they don't want to call you out on it because they don't know for sure, and then it just becomes a thing. And then, so if you say, I don't want to go see that movie, or I don't want to go to that bar, or whatever the case is, or you say, I do want to go to that movie and I want to go to this bar, that allows you to be really malleable and adjustable and your groups see you that way and then it'll be more approachable to have conversations. If you know someone can adjust, if you give them an opinion, 
you're going to be more likely to give them your opinion and have a discussion. Whereas if you know that someone's just going to dig their heels in and say, I don't want to listen to this, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to speak to them about it. Ooh, I got a fun little, little technique for this. I love this one. Use your wise eyes. How do you spell wise in that situation? Both ways. So W-Y-W-H-Y or W-I-S-E. So you can use your wise eyes, meaning you can investigate the situation from kind of an objective point of view and be wise about it. And you can look for the whys through those eyes and try to figure out why is this happening? What's the function here of why I find myself conforming to this and not showing my true self going in this direction? People follow secure people for a reason, because they're being wise. They're doing the good stuff for the common good. And then we unfollow those that aren't being wise. And so I think what all this sort of speaks to is the ability. We all have, according to our code switching, a distinct set of language tools to help us transcend our unhealthy patterns and perpetuate our healthy patterns. So, for example, when we're talking about congruence, if you are one of the girls that are in the plastics, let's say, maybe you're really into fashion and your ideal self is a fashion designer and you want to be sort of this person that drives the fashion business, yep. right? And in that sense, aesthetic could be really important to you to set the stage for who you are. Now, if you're someone that doesn't care about that at all and you want to wear pants all day and no makeup and whatever hair you wake up with at right out of bed. Now, maybe that's not conforming to your ideal self, and it's going to be more incongruent for you to sit there within the plastics and identify as such. So, if and if you're a three musketeer, just to continue on with the examples you've already used, maybe you feel like that makes you kind of a warrior in a sense, and maybe that absolutely fits with who you want to do. You want to fight for some changes. But if you're not someone who wants to do it, if you're someone who wants to sit behind the scenes and do things that way, then that might feel really incongruent. And so you have to kind of parse out the behind the scenes meaning, the contextual meaning of the categories you identify with, the language you use in those categories, and say, okay, here's what I want to transcend and here's what I want to continue. Yeah, and I I see what you're saying. I think you got to know your body, though, first. I think your heart rate tells you a lot. I think your anticipation of things, we were talking about season up. Also thinking about that stranger danger. What if we changed it to strangeness danger? You notice a strangeness going on and yeah, maybe you get suspicious and keep yourself safe, but you don't have to go into full panic mode. You kind of use your mind as a tool to deduce what is and isn't congruent with where you need to be going now. In your collective self. And I think that applies at all levels, the family levels. Yep. What kind of conversations they're having versus whether or not you feel like you fit in to those conversations and how. The friend levels, if you're friends with a bunch of jocks and you find yourself just loathing sports. And so whether or not that speaks to you being congruent or incongruent at the current time. And whether that means you're identifying with a group of people Let's say you're a Democrat and you begin identifying Republican or vice versa. You'll begin to feel your heart rate go up or that kind of disgust feeling or just a general lack of enthusiasm about the group 
in general, you'll be able to tell through your biological functions in that way. Yes. That something's off. You see people tuning into micro expressions now so much more because, gosh, look at social media. It's in its, I don't call it, it's an instantaneous thought shot out into the world or it's an instantaneous picture or video shot out into the world. It's all automatic on some level, but then there's that reflection of, oh, got some feedback on that one. That wasn't good. So you're seeing people that are maybe, let's say, a little less introspective or self-reflective. Boy, they're getting feedback on a daily basis, but then they're going further out to keep themselves safe out of the wake of the woke folks. It's quite a cycle we're seeing, but that's an opportunity to go, Oh, yep, overstepped there, or, man, I could have done better, or, no, I I think I was fine, and this person seems to be kind of shooting their insecurity at me. Maybe they're projecting because they didn't like how they had to think about themselves when they heard what I said. And you can also think about the language of the people around you and the language you identify with in that way. And just for some context, Neil and I started dating in high school. We come from different groups. He was very much a jock, and I was very much, what would you call me? I was sort of a traveler, a wanderer in the groups. I didn't know you had a group. You were in so many different groups. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't like sports. I went to the games to flirt with Neil. I went to the games to flirt with Neil. I don't like the sports. And he played basketball, and he played baseball, and he's, (laughs) he's good at bowling, and everything involving something athletic he's good at. Whatever. But even today, when we have discussions, every once in a while, he'll be like, it's like a first down, or that's the goalpost. And I have a general sense of what that means. (laughs) But like, man, I I can't really picture it. And I don't, like, I don't have an applied sense of what these things mean. And nor do I care. And so I find myself, and so I find myself turning off and I didn't really realize I was doing it. Like just kind of disassociating from the message. It took a couple years to realize that's why. So then we had to come up with a system where I say, all right, that had to do with sports. I, we gotta, we gotta fix this kind of a thing. And he had to do the same thing for me. And at times when I was using language that he didn't understand. Yeah. Because you have to have a system for, you, you lost me there. I, I'm not. Or even that frustrates me. I'm annoyed. I'm whatever. It's okay. Emotion is language too. And so you were so annoyed. <laughs> and you still are. When With that happens. Yeah, when yeah. that comes up. But that's, my brain was built that way. Oops. But also, okay, I can, I can change it up now. I'm enjoying art more than I do sports now. So let's go art metaphors or writing or whatever. So I think it makes more sense, again, to make the changes and accommodate that as opposed to saying, no, we must stay because I am not or I am time crunched. Uh, Yeah, everybody's time crunched right now, but we can still meet each other where we need to be. That hitting it? Absolutely. And I think just just understanding your natural responses to language, understanding where you identify with language use, yep. what's identifiable to you versus what you've just kind of been lazy rivering on. 
for a while. Again, look at your automatics. Yeah. yeah. Look at the automatic thoughts you get when language use is employed. Look at where you fall in terms of identifying with certain language usages and categories and labels. And that'll tell you a lot about areas where you might want to kind of transcend those patterns Bingo. and identification patterns and where you might want to continue down that road. And that'll help you down your what we've called in past episodes the myth path. It'll help you identify your myths of mind and it'll help you identify with the overall story line that you want to be on in your life. Did you notice I snuck past or snuck in a, a baseball metaphor? No, I just always tune those out, man. The sweet spot, hit it home. All that. <laughs> so it's, see that you can still do it, but it's like how much you do it, to what degree, the intensity, frequency, tone, attitude. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm going a little too far. The idea is, I love your book, of course, about how you emithiate yourself. You figure out what metaphors you grew up with, what helped you adapt to the world, and then play with that. We're going to be talking about that next episode, aren't we? And well, and this is something that we've done for our clients in our business, Tim Meal, too, because we do communication consulting. That's the kind of our umbrella right now. But this is what we've done for clients. We pointed out metaphor usage and language usage and said, this seems to be the underlying message. This is who you're talking to. This seems to be their underlying message. Does this align? And so it's really important to understand your audiences and yourself and the role you want to play with certain audiences. Ooh, the roles you want to play, what teams you're on, maybe your team. Teams benefit from this. We've seen that. Sorry. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So the idea is how can we help more teams? We're all trying to team up with the myth and with our collective consciousness. Whereas what we're forgetting is when we team up with certain people, a lot of times we leave out other folks as a consequence of how we're doing that. So now we're trying to be wider with our nets, which I think is a beautiful thing. People are doing some really cool stuff right now with that. Absolutely. So we'll help as best we can. Yeah, but I think that's it for today. Next time we're going to dive into metaphors, aren't we? We are. The analogies, we follow the non-literal self, as we call it. No, oh, I love that. So That'll be fun. We'll catch up on that later, but we hope this caught you up on some new ideas of how you can evolve your collective self and identities. Otherwise, it's been fun catching up. Nice catch. Uh, hope you caught some of the things that we said. Throw it back to us at temmeal.com or email us at temteam at gmail.com. We'll catch you later.